Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. After last week's chat about the original Phantasm, this week marks my diving into the uncharted waters of Phantasm sequels. And where else to begin than with writer and director Don Coscarelli's 1988 sequel, Phantasm II. After being institutionalized for seven years after the events of the original film, Mike has been released and rejoins forces with series icon Reggie to set out on a cross-country crusade against series antagonist The Tall Man, the interdimensional being responsible for killing the pair's families. And joining me once again is returning friend of the show, horror aficionado, and uh, no big deal, he's also the drummer of Coed in Cambria, Mr. Josh Eppard. Josh, welcome back to the show, brother. Oh, good to be here, Jay. You know, I always look forward to these, so thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. You know, like I said in the intro... I've never seen any of the sequels before, right? And, you know, Phantasm, the original, was a movie that took me maybe two or three viewings for it to really click with me. Um, And now I'm kind of like all on board with just how bizarre and weird and really, you know, it's one of the rare series that I think is unlike anything else, uh, for better or for worse sometimes, but it really is this kind of like (laughs) strange enigma of uh, subgenres. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So when I was a kid, I'm older than you, Phantasm 2 was on like HBO or Cinemax, one of the pay channels. Uh, it was just like on all the time. So I actually got into two long before one. And, and in, in my opinion, now granted, I have not watched Phantasm 1. It's been a good chunk of time. But there was like uh, a time in my life where I was kind of obsessed with these movies. Uh, it was around the time, it was maybe after three and possibly even after four came out and I was all in on the sequels, but God, it's so bizarre. I would actually say two is kind of the most grounded of them all. Um, I think two, I've, I, I've caught an energy. I don't know that anybody has said this outright, but I've caught an energy of like two is where they went mainstream. I think it, it might be the biggest budget one of them all. Um, I was actually just reading about phantasm right before we did this. And I know, you know, part four had a budget of, 650 grand whereas part two had a budget in the millions and gross it made money um i think it's two two and a half million dollar budget uh for a movie in what 1987 88 but then it made seven eight million dollars so this was like a successful movie i mean it's, it, it had gross millions of dollars and um so two was my favorite that so that was my introduction and i don't think I think people my age, that's probably true for a lot of them. Since it was on TV so much, two kind of let us in. But yeah, you said it perfectly, for better or worse, dude. Like, what an odd, weird, really strange journey. And I have to say, I, God, you know what happens to me? I'll say two's my favorite one. And then, hey, that's actually a Coheed song, too. <laughs> um, I'll say two is my favorite one. And then I'll go back and watch them. And I'll be like, oh, my God, one is brilliant. But as of right now, and I'm totally going to go down the rabbit hole. I'm going to watch all of them. I've never seen uh, the 2016 one, Phantasm Ravager, which I didn't even know existed, honestly, because, you know, just kind of unplugged from it all. But, uh, yeah, these were movies that um, 
you know, I really enjoyed as a kid. I was ready to kind of get on that train and, and get flipping weird. But two, man, oh, I love the music. As soon as it starts, that music just kind of dances around in my head. It's stamped on forever. I'm talking like last week before we even talked about doing this, that music dances around in my head at least 20 times a week. Um, so it's a really fun watch. Like I said, it had been a few years, but I really love to God, now I got to go back just like when I was a kid Two is the introduction. Got to go back and do one. So you just did one. Yeah. So one we covered last week um, and chatted just about, you know, for as strong of a film as that is for what it is. And again, like all how unique it is, how it really is unlike anything else, kind of how, you know, it wasn't the first to play around with like a sort of dreamlike logic, but just how brazenly confident these movies are and just how strange they are, right? The fact that the antagonist is just like this really tall guy and they just call him the tall man, right? And he's got these crazy powers that are not really fully explained, but there's something about like the confidence with which I find Don Coscarelli kind of like approaches everything that it all works really well. Even when, you know, there are these sort of like awkward moments and things like that with, you know, whether it's budget constrictions, whether it's the fact that, a majority of the cast, this is like the first or fifth thing they've been in, or, you know, yeah, totally. sometimes you can just kind of see how they, um, the framework falls apart a little bit, but it still works really, really well. And I think that, you know, what you mentioned, that score is fantastic. Right. And it really does kind of capture that mood, um, and sort of the vibe overall of what phantasm goes for. Um, but it makes a lot of sense that you would say, um, that, you know, the second one, was a lot of people's introduction because that is the bigger film, right? And it makes sense that that would be the one that's on TV because it has the studio backing. And uh, I just mm -hmm. thought it was really funny how, you know, a lot of the times when people talk about, oh, it's kind of like this regressive viewpoint of either sequels or like studio backings where it's like, oh, once the studio got involved, the heart of the movie's lost and the quality of it is this or that. That's kind of like one of those types of conversations that revolves around a sure. lot of sequels. But I'm taken aback by just how much more improved the Phantasm formula is once it gets that studio backing in the second film. Like with that budget, obviously we'll get into it, you know, bigger effects. But at the same time, you know, having a studio come in and be like, we need a little bit less of the dreamlike aspects of the original movie. I find narratively speaking, that makes it this probably stronger for me. And I would go so far as to say this is my preferred film between the first two. Oh, it's mine without a doubt. Two is my favorite one, 100%. Um, you know, it was like a one part almost like sci-fi creature feature. And as a kid, that really turned me on a lot of the practical effects. God, I just read about, again, I haven't seen the 2016. Well, I think it's 2016. Uh, Phantasm Ravager. Have you read about this? That's, I guess, the fifth one. But uh, what I read... Uh, it wasn't, it actually had some positive reviews. So I think it might even be the highest Rotten Tomatoes of all the sequels. Cause I'm looking right now, this one is 38%. Maybe I have that wrong actually, Jake, cause that seems wild. But I, I think I saw it was like in the fifties, but I, that could be wrong, but that it was really kind of bogged down with like entry level CGI. And as an eighties kid, like I part two, like the practical cool effects, like the one part, uh, when he thinks he finds the girl that's been in his dreams and he's like, Reggie, this is the girl. And then 
what did he do to you? And and the things are bubbling on her back, and he pulls the sheet off. Oh, look, come on! It's so it's like straight out of like from beyond or something. Oh, and then the and then the face says, "Come east if you dare, boy." Oh, that was so cool. You know, I really felt. Uh, I think the last time I watched this, you know, I threw it on at night and probably like dozed off. You know, I just I knew it so well. It's like an old record that you know really well, but like you remember all the major plot points, but some of like the dance in between and some of the nuances lost. This time I watched with like such a more keen eye, knowing I was coming on to talk to you about it. And what a real thrill for me, man. Like um, I just, I felt like a kid again, Jay. And that's part of uh, what Phantasm kind of is to me. This is something I, I felt like it was mine too. I think that's worth mentioning. This wasn't, like Freddie or Jason, a lot of kids I knew weren't into Phantasm. We'd heard of it. Nobody really fucked with it, honestly, when I was a kid. So me diving in, I felt like, again, I hate the musician always likening everything to a band, but it was like a little indie band that you found that no one else was hip to. And I, you know, that kind of like, I think, strengthened the bond with the movie. Um, I've, I, I'm really looking forward to going back and watching one. I, from what I remember about one is it's really strange rough around the edges uh some parts that are real is there a scene with like a like a fly monster that like flies at reggie yeah (laughs) (laughs) they got real uh real experimental i think but that's part of what makes the original have this charm like i only saw the original movie maybe five years ago right i came to phantasm late and i i think that even within like horror fans i still would consider phantasm to be fairly niche as a series, right? It's gotten a lot more exposure thanks to obviously streaming and Blu-ray and just like the general discourse around film and whatnot. Um, It's become more accessible and I think it's definitely found a larger audience, but I would still go so far as to say that like, it is a very niche series because of, you know, how odd it is still. And, you know, I've only seen the first two films up until this point, but the fact that both of those movies are so singularly different but still play around with like Coscarelli's very strange sort of uh, toolbox and world building. Like with the original one, it's more of this sort of like sleepy dreamlike logic. What is real? What is a dream? What is not? And the sequel to your point, you know, it feels a lot more sci-fi, right? I would go so far as to say it almost feels like apocalyptic Western in a way where it's kind of like, you just have these people that are going from out West and they're chasing this guy across the country. And uh, yeah, it's, It's a wild ride for sure. It's really interesting to see him play around with the same variables from the first movie, but he expands on it in a way that it doesn't really feel like it misses a beat, right? I kind of felt like it was almost like the Dark Tower kind of where they're like chasing this creature across the country and and it plays out a little bit like a Western, but then at the same time, like you said, there is this sort of like creature sci-fi element to it when, you know, you're expanding on what the tall man's powers are and the fact that, you know, he can kind of like communicate with people telepathically now. And the fact that, you know, he can have his minions pretend that they're somebody else, right? When he kind of rips the sheet off and you've got this almost like a Freddy looking creature sprouting from that girl's back and whatnot. It's all bubbly and melty and gross. And you see that in the budget, right? The budget helps that really play well. I think within the first 15 minutes, they blow up two houses, right? And it just, it looks crazy. It's larger than life. But it feels like this natural continuation of what was, you know, a very strange film for the first moment. But it just gets bigger and bigger in a way that feels 
like a natural continuation rather than maybe perverting his original vision despite that studio influence you know well let me ask you jay every time we we talk uh or we do one of your shows i'm always really interested in how you kind of absorb movies i think you do it in a way that's different than me and that's why it's so interesting to me i think you do it with more of a critical eye for lack of a better kind of term do, do you think that Dan Coscarelli, do you think from the time he makes Phantasm 1, some, and I'm, I'm curious, so I'm asking, I, I'm not saying I wholesale think this, but sometimes it seems like he's throwing a bunch of shit against the wall and then making it make sense later. What do you, do you think there's any truth to that? Or do you think that Coscarelli has like a singular vision from the jump and that he's just kind of let us, letting us in piece by piece or is he kind of just like, hey, this shit will be cool here? What What else has Dan Coscarelli done? Has he done other movies? Has he done? Are there other things that he's directed or wrote? Or yeah, so for the first part of that, when I look up some of his uh, filmography, you know, I would bet that you know, with the studio getting involved, he's kind of like, let me see how much wild shit I can get away with, right? I've got this budget that is ten times the budget of the original movie because the original was. 300 grand. And now he, I think he's got like 3 million or something. And so to okay. see him have this budget, it's like, how much weird stuff can I get away with? And he did have to make concessions, you know, with that increased budget and studio backing. So, you know, a big part of that was like, they didn't want any more of the playing with dreamlike logic. They wanted a much more linear, straightforward narrative, which this movie has. And I would say that the movie actually benefits from that, right? Normally you might think like, well, a studio saying you need to reel it in a little bit and have something, and you know, you even described it as such, it being grounded, the most grounded out of all the movies. And I don't think that's a coincidence, the fact that the movies get weirder and weirder and wilder and wilder after this, and the studios are just not as involved and they're less confident. But at that point, like those movies actually get a little stranger, I think, because he has that freedom. But at the same time, you know, I think he's somebody that just is such a unique vision for what he wants to do that kind of like defies what you saw in a lot of these types of genre movies at the time that he was like, fuck it. Let me see what they'll say yes to and what they'll shoot down. And I mean, it doesn't seem as if he was really making a lot of concessions in the long run, even if, you know, he couldn't bring back the original uh, actor for Mike. He had to, you know, cast up somebody new, but you know, he still got to have Reggie. Right. So you get, you see the kind of like the ebbs and flows of what he could get away with. Um, now, in terms of the rest of his filmography, before Phantasm, he did a film called Kenny and Company, and I think he was the youngest person ever to sell a movie to a studio at like 19, um, which I've never seen no the movie, shit. I don't know anything about it, but you know, that was something that allowed him to kind of like have more of a studio backing or distribution backing. Um, you know, he also did a movie called Beastmaster, which I haven't seen. Uh, he did two movies called You Beastmaster. never? Yeah, I never saw that Wait. one. Wait. He did Beastmaster? Yeah, the Beastmaster, yeah. Holy shit, dude. Like, I saw that as a kid. Haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I was not aware of that. There's all kinds of stuff that, like, I should know that I don't know. Like, I'm a bad fan no, in a lot of ways. There, it's just there's like, too many movies that's to know cool everything about, dude. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, fuck, Everybody I talk a. to, it's like, sure, we can say that we've seen this or that, but there's a good 10, 20 movies that each of us haven't probably seen that, you know, quote unquote, we should have seen. Um, but, you know, he also did a movie with Bruce Campbell called Bubba Hotep in 2002, which I haven't seen, but it, that's supposed to be like 
one of his most revered uh, horror comedies that he did. Dude, Bubba, yo, Bubba Hotep is really great. Holy shit. That's, I did know that. Fuck me, but it's been years since I own Bubba Hotep. It's like in my attic. I bought the DVD. Um, wow, I did know that, that he did that movie. It's just one of the things that escaped the tapestry of the things <laughs> I end up hanging on to. So Phantasm 1, like, I'm trying to kind of dredge up my memories about it. And, like, I, I remember it was like, God, I like so much of this, but some of it was so odd that maybe I'll appreciate it more now. But being a fan of two first is two is my entryway. One was always, uh, God, I don't want to say an afterthought because that would be too strong, but like not, it didn't hold the same place right. as two. Two is my shit. I'm going to watch three tonight because now <laughs> I'm going to go back down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. But do you, do you think that he, God, he is, he's like an accomplished filmmaker. He's done some things. Phantasm one, if I, in my memory, it was like so strange that it, 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 what I'm saying is that I don't want to be like kind of mean about it, but that it lost, it even lost me a few times oh, yeah. where I was kind of like, well, this is so strange that, or it's kind of cheesy. And, uh, but maybe now I would appreciate how rough around, maybe it was like over my head, even as a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that it's the type of movie that again, like the first time I watched it, it was very much not for me. Cause it's just, I went into it and I, what I had heard, I was just like, I think one of the, tags for the movie is like if this doesn't scare you you're already dead or something like that it's like one of those aggressive 80s tags that completely oversells the experience so you go in with a yeah. certain mindset and then when i watched it a second and then a third time with friends that liked it you know i'm able to take it a little more in stride the second time i'm like okay this is bootstraps filmmaking again you know nobody is um, a master at their craft let's say in terms of like the actors and the portrayals of those characters and then if anything, you know, I'm appreciative of the commitment to the dreamlike logic, which doesn't always work, right? Sometimes you could say parts of that movie are vague, but it's not necessarily intentionally vague. It's that, oh, maybe it's not as well written or not as well edited. It's something that it's like, well, we have the guise of this being a dream, so we can cut some corners and sell it like that. But I think overall, you know, when you go back and rewatch the original, it is that type of movie that it does capture that dreamlike logic in a way that it does succeed when, you know, it, clearly it's intentional. I think the way in which they play around in the commentary with like grief, right? With Mike dealing with the loss of his parents and how, you know, is this sort of like a PTSD episode he's having? Is this something actually fantastical? Is this a dream? You know, when you start to look at it through that lens, it does work for me in a way that is special in that time period, I think. And it succeeds where not, a lot of other films perhaps from that period did. Um, and I think that there's some really strong imagery in the movie. There's not a great deal of it because again, of the constraints, but like thinking about that scene when he has the nightmare and the tall man standing above his bed and his bed's in the graveyard mm. and then the zombies grab him, right? You've got the silver orb, of course, or even when you've got the little like dwarf creatures and they're getting, they're getting shot and stuff like that. Like the film has a very distinctive look. And I keep coming back to that because when I think about series from this time period, you know, not to say that they all were kind of like carbon copies or reflective of things that were successful previously, but this is something that stands out as being wholly singular in what it's doing. Um, and I appreciate, I think that's something I appreciate the older I get is just like, not just making another slasher series from the same era or something that is trying to be Nightmare on Elm Street, right? 
you can see an influence clearly, but still like Coscarelli has such a distinctive world building um, that I think only gets better with the second film, right? And I think that's why I was so taken aback in watching the second movie because all of those elements are so much stronger and so much more refined. Um, and it really is a testament to, you know, a studio getting involved sometimes can be like a helping hand for a young filmmaker rather than this like creative hindrance, let's say. Well, surely, and that's on full display with Fantastic Two. I'm, I'm curious, like, the amount of time between one and two, it's actually really cool that it got made. I mean, it it, it wasn't Phantasm. When did Phantasm 1 come so out? So Phantasm 1 was 79, and then this the sequel is 88. So it was a good chunk of time, yeah. right? And, you know, he was- Huge chunk yeah. of time. That's awesome. And I think it, what they say in the movie, like seven years has gone by. It was probably about that when, when they were actually filming. Isn't that interesting? I'm, I'm, I would love to, like, kind of dig through articles and interviews and stuff and hear how, how that got made all those years later. Phantasm 1 kind of carved out this cult following and then a studio jumped in and got involved and made two. It's actually a really interesting story. And then I think the next one's in the 90s. I was just reading about this before this, but God, like, it's a really interesting idea how it got made all those years later. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Carves out its cult audience. It's kind of a ballsy move for a studio to jump in. And uh, yeah, I got to watch one again. I'm, I'm more curious than ever to kind of see how one lands, you know, for 43-year-old adult Josh. Because like I said, it's it's been a lifetime. I haven't watched one in so long. Again, maybe I put it on years ago and kind of, you know, I like to put movies on at night, which means I fall asleep to a lot of movies. But especially movies I liked as a kid, there's a comfort there and that's, even though I, I I can only pick out like the major parts of one, I don't know. I have this feeling it's going to land differently and really powerfully for me. So don't want to oversell it like those <laughs> 80s taglines, but I'm like way into watching it again. But I can't stress how much I really enjoyed watching part two again. Like I fucking love this movie. And I realized how much of like how the, how many scenes from this movie just kind of landed in it really kind of permanent way the scene in the hardware store yeah. where they grab up the, the guns and the chainsaw and then they leave the money yeah <laughs> that's a scene i never forgot like that's in like cemented onto my brain if let's say we ran into each other and got talking at a bar or something i would remember that scene from phantasm 2 it's i didn't realize just how much i took from this movie that kind of was prove to i don't know last forever which you know i give the movie a lot of credit and uh i feel like i owe it to watch the other ones now but i do remember feeling the dip in budget um but i think there were some things that were cool i'm so curious to see what you think of the other sequels and what's like the timeline here for you so have you watched just one and two have you not watched three and four i haven't watched three and four yet um just because i was trying to you know rewatch the films, do my notes, record these, and then kind of, you know, not get too far ahead of myself, you know? So I was trying to keep it a little concurrent. Um, but yeah, my plan is, is that, you know, once, uh, once this comes up, I'm def out, I'm definitely going to, you know, dive into three and four. Um, and I'll be sure to, I'll shoot at you a few texts about my thoughts on them and we'll, uh, we'll go back and forth and considering you're going to revisit some of them too. But you know, that scene that you mentioned, um, about them going to the hardware store, you know, that's, 
a really key scene, I think, not only in reestablishing those characters and who they are, right? I think that that's something that as weird as we've been, you know, as weird as the world of Phantasm is, I find that they do a good job of, you know, humanizing the people involved in it. You know, they never really lose the heart of it, of, you know, Reggie and Mike, even if Mike has been recast by uh, James LaGrosse, but you have Reggie Bannister returning, right? And so they do a great job, I think, of capturing, you know, that sort of like foster father figure of Reggie with Mike. But at the same time, you know, despite both of them now losing both of their families, um, it doesn't really change them at their core as people, right? And I think that that them putting the money on the counter after they take all these weapons and equipment and things like that, it kind of just shows like, even though they're dedicating their lives to this like suicide mission, it's not corrupting them to the point where, you know, they're not decent people at the end of the day. Um, I know that's a powerful scene, dude. Like, and I think just the fact that I remember that scene, whether I had watched or not, I remembered that scene, uh, kind of speaks to that. And I like the humanity of it and fuck it. Reggie's the man for every, okay. For all his kind of rough around the edges acting, mm -hmm. it landed for me as a kid. It lands for me as an adult. There's like an earnestness to Reggie that really plays for me. Uh, I don't know if he what he went on to do. Um, lots of small, um, lots you know, of small things. He was like a, a I want to say, you know, I mean it with love, uh, like a B movie character actor, right? He was doing lots of little genre movies, little roles here and there. Um, I don't think he's been doing much acting uh, recently due to some like health complications and things like that because he's been getting older. But you know, he does a great job, I think, of. And granted, I haven't seen three, four, and five, but he is this nice through line again, right? You talk about how. These movies play with the unknown, with the dreamlike logic, this sort of other world. But you have this through line of the sort of heart of the series, right? Um, which is one of those things that it's like, it's nice to have something that grounds us. While, you know, three, four, and five maybe get wilder and more abstract and whatnot, you at least have that character to sort of anchor you to that journey and seeing it all the way through. Um, but I think what's really impressive and interesting about the sequel is that um, you get to see the portrayal of the tall man and just like him being this figure that is almost represented like the plague kind of, right? They talk more about he travels from town to town. He, you know, steals all the bodies and whatnot and then goes to the next town and leaves nothing but death and destruction in his wake. Um, and maybe it's because I didn't remember the original that well, but that movie being this little like microcosm of a town, it was like, he's a creepy looking dude who's got a very, very memorable voice and whatnot, but seeing him as a threat that could leave that town, I think makes him even more intimidating in the sequel, which kind of like fuels that Western vibe of this second movie and that they have to keep chasing him because it's not just that he's in those locations, but if they don't chase him, there's just going to be death in the wake of him, uh, you know, going from these small towns. Yeah. You always have such an interesting way, such like a, <laughs> Co collegiate way like a smart way of you're spot on though dude that's it well, i appreciate I, I that god man it, we almost have to do another one of these after we both watch all of them because like i'm pulling from memories from so long ago about three but like i think three was like a worthy movie not didn't hit the highs of two but it's still like was somewhat cohesive. And then I think from there, I, I think I lost touch with the series a little bit around four. And that could have been just, you know, I'm growing up and changing and getting into different shit and was maybe more interested in like what girl I was hanging out with or something. But, um, or maybe the movie's just really shitty. I don't remember really, <laughs> right. but 
I'm so I'm so I might do one and three tonight. I'm not beholden to a to a podcast or a show. I might jump way in, but yeah, man, I love to. I'm kind of glad this has been like reintroduced to me. Um, again, like so much of it just kind of like exists in the cobwebbed annals of my mind. That this is a really important, super important movie to me. Um, now I'm curious. It's like, why did I fall off? Because I'm not like. I'm not always beating the phantasm drum. Drum, like people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, what are your favorite movies?" I don't think I ever say phantasm. And I feel like phantasm two is up there for me. It was like one of the kind of introduction to kind of outside the box horror to me. So it's a really important movie. The kind of I guess like tapestry of movies that uh, that were important to me that kind of solidified a taste to me. Um, it probably introduced me to a lot of other weird shit that I was able to absorb because of Phantasm. But I, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it might have got a little too weird for me. And I hate to say that because I like shit that's outside the box. But um, and yeah, God, I cannot wait. I can't wait to watch three. And I, I, if I remember correctly, I just think with four, it was starting to feel like, you know, some of the shit I feel like they it never fully gets explained. Then again, that could have been the mind of a child, Jay. You know, so I do feel like as an adult, I'm going to watch this and it'll land differently. There, I can't think of anything specific, but just like thematically, it was landing different at 43 than it was even at like 35 when I put it on loosely. It's like there are things that like shit. I'm not ashamed. Like we're probably over my head when I was watching this at 13, 14. So, um, yeah, I'm curious about two. Was do you was th or with three? Was three made? With a major studio or was three kind of back to the indie? So I believe that three did have a studio backing, but again, the budget was substantially less because there was less confidence. Um, and I, I, it did, three did have a theatrical release, but again, there, I must've just been, the studios viewed it as like oversaturation or something like that at that point with horror in general, um, cause of the kind of like horror boom that they were coming out of in the eighties. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was more so just like, Oh well, we'll we'll give this you know. Let how little can we spend with still thinking about you know the money we can make off of home video, right? So that was like the, a big thing as well. So I wouldn't be surprised, sure, sure, if they did have it the studio backing, but it was just the type of thing where they were like, you know, we spend three million. Um, let's see how little we can spend, maybe half of that, and see if we can get a similar return. Less from theatrical, but more from, you know, VHS rentals and home video sales. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's why I'm most excited to dive into three and four and five, just because you get to kind of see, again, you know, how much of his creativity comes through and is he able to sell it in the way that he does in two, despite the fact he has this dwindling budget. Um, but I guess in terms of two, like what are some of the most memorable moments for you? Because, you know, I was really, really taken aback by just how much stronger the practical effects are in this movie um, and how, oh, you know, sure. he's even able to kind of like build off of moments from the original, like especially with the orbs, right? But at the same time, he's able to sell it in a way that is so much larger um, and so much more grotesque in a way that you don't care that it's building off of something he did in the previous movie. No, I, if anything, I think I was looking forward to that. I like that they don't overuse the orbs. Yes. It's not like orb central. So it's so, I remember as a kid, it was so cool when they would show up. Um, God, favorite scenes. I mean, I 
There's so many. I remember as a kid, and it still lands now, but they never really explain it. When the grandmother, okay, so when the young girl, what's her name? Paula, is that her name? Yeah. Um, I just watched it. I <laughs> literally stopped it, and I'm sorry, I can't remember. Any. Um, when her grandfather dies, and the grandmother watches the priest, the priest is like looking up to the cross and tells Jesus, this has to stop. And then he stabs the carcass of the grandfather. The grandmother passes out. They never really explain like what happened after that, that the grandmother got home. And that's kind of on brand, though, for a, a Dan Coscarelli move. Like there's a lot of shit that goes unexplained. And I always feel like there's like a war between like, you know, I want this thing to make sense. We can get super weird and like even like, you know, avant-garde, whatever you call it. But like, I ultimately want it to make sense. And sometimes I do feel like, and this is a knock, like, but this is true. Sometimes I feel like they're, when I said before, throwing shit against the wall and kind of seeing what sticks and explaining it later. I feel like there's an element of that. Um, this was just like, I have a feeling on the cutting room floor, there was another scene with the grandma where she gets up and leaves. But I always wonder, I love that scene with like, uh, you know, the priest is like, I always wonder, they, again, they don't explain a whole lot. I imagine the priest is seeing like the bodies be kind of turned into. And then, God, uh, like, I remember not to keep talking about the other sequels, but like in three, they start to explain like what the uh, little, you know, Jawas are because yeah. they look like Jawas <laughs> yeah. to me from Star Wars. But like, like what they are and there's some shit about like the tall man can kind of traverse through different planes of existence and whatnot. And um that, like they kind of hint at that here and then explain it later, which seems to be like a running theme. Um, God, I love the scene at the, the end, dude, where it's like, you know, that when the girl that Reggie banged, like she picks him up in the hearse, you know, this is bad news. Come on, Reggie and Mike got to be smarter than that. Uh, but I remember being like on the edge of my seat as a kid. And then I just love the way that she's, she's twirling her hair and then just like a piece of her yeah. scalp comes <laughs> off. A terrific ending. Um, very Nightmare on Elm Street where they get grabbed. Yep. Uh, but then again, that happened in the original, which was before Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Doesn't he get grabbed and pulled through the mirror? Yeah. So maybe not. Maybe Wes Craven was borrowing a little bit from that. <laughs> um, love that scene, though. It's, it's a dream. This isn't real. No, it's not. That's <laughs> so awesome to me. This, all the scenes with the spheres in two. I love the fucking spheres, dude. Like, those are so cool. And I appreciate that they're kind of like somewhat under, like when they come, it's a, it's a big ordeal. We're already deep into the movie. You know, another thing about these movies in general is they're not super long, yeah. which I like that. I kind of sometimes miss that oh, about yeah. like 80s, 90s movies. Like now it's like every movie is like a two hour plus ordeal. Not really every movie, but loads of yeah. them, you know? I like that it's like a pretty concise runtime. I was looking at some of the other sequels are like 85 minutes. I think that nowadays that's the, maybe the hallmark of like a troubled production or like not a great movie. But back then, I just think movies were shorter. And I like that kind of conciseness. Sometimes you're talking to the guy that watched The Irishman twice in a row. Like I loved it. I never wanted it to end. Yeah. That was long, but I just was fascinated. That's a story that's always resonated with me, so I just absolutely love that movie. Um, did you, not that we're here to talk about The Irishman, did you like that movie at all? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I wish I had watched it in two sittings, but the only reason I didn't was because I had a, work told us we were going to have a snow day the next day. They told us early, so I was like, fuck it, I have three and a half hours. I'll sleep in tomorrow, and I watched it in one shot. 
Um, I wish I had watched it in two sittings just because I started to fatigue a little bit. But uh, no, I definitely enjoyed that. And I mean, when it's Scorsese, what am I not going to uh, dig him, even if it's, you know, revisiting subject matter that he's, you know, been prolific in for decades and decades, he's still able to, you know, apply whether it's pulling, you know, performances out of people that maybe are unconventional. Like for me, that movie, Joe Pesci is my favorite part of that movie because it's him giving a performance sure. that feels like it goes against type for him, right? It's a lot more restrained. It's a lot quieter of a role, but it plays in a way that I was like, oh man, I wish somebody had, you know, not tried to force him his entire career to do the one thing he was known for, which was, you know, being over the top, the larger than life, despite a, store, a shorter uh, stature, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, I love that movie. And I totally agree about, you know, I'll take an 80 minute banger any day over something that is two hours or two and a half hours or whatever. Um, just because I think again, you know, specifically with horror, the sooner that you can introduce what is scary about your world that you've created and whatnot, and the sooner you can get us out of that world while telling a complete story, it's the type of thing where it's like, it's going to be more effective, I think, because, you know, you're, you obviously know this, a lot of horror movies, it's like, by the time you get to the third act, the movie has more than likely gone on for so long that it's lost a lot of its like pop, right? Because you've been overexposed to the monster or the creature, or we're kind of like retracing our steps in terms of scares. So by the end of the movie, that's almost two hours. It's like, okay, this could have wrapped up a little sooner. I don't know. That's how I feel a lot about a lot of, uh, no, no, no. a lot of horror at least. I'm with you hundred percent, except as with all things, like there's always like middle ground or always like, oh, yeah. I contradict myself. Cause like certain long movies I'm all about, but I like these like generally concise, like run times. I think they get a little bit shorter. I think two is actually might be the longest one of them all, but two plays quick to me. Like it went by and I was like, holy shit. Like what a great watch. This is one of the most enjoyable watches in like modern times for me. So God, you ask a favorite part, dude, the whole, on, and I hate to, the whole movie is my favorite. I really just absolutely loved watching it. it also, you're, there's a nostalgia factor for me too, dude. Like when enough time passes and you haven't watched something, like a lot of things are there for memory. But then again, we're plugging in the little dance between all, all the ebbs and flows. I felt like a child again, man. I was going to like text you and thank you for this <laughs> because it was a really powerful watch for me. But, uh, yeah, man, I might even want to brush up. I rewound a couple parts, like, after they went by just to watch them again. But, like, they were kind of seeming, like, somewhat innocuous, like, not the big moments. They were, the like, the priest. Mm -hmm. That's not, like, a huge moment. It just was interesting to me. Um, I love the, like, kind of uh, tried and true, quintessential kind of 80s-ish. Oh, well, the grandma again when she goes to bed. I love that, like, she lays down and is not aware of the grandfather there, and then it cuts over, and he's got his lips so yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I remember that as a kid, like, freaking me out. The thing of phantasm, so, not to get, like, all serious or anything, I suffer from a condition called sleep paralysis. Oh, uh, lots of people mm -hmm. have it. Um, but as a kid, there was no internet. Or, you know, what, 93 was, like, the dawn of the internet. It wasn't a thing where I could go and just... I didn't have access to all the information in the world in my pocket or on my home computer, certainly. Um, and I, I thought I was haunted as a kid. I was uh, sure that I was haunted and I have these powerful experiences and there, you know, something about phantasm uh, really spooked me. And uh, 
I didn't get not. It's not the movie that scared me at the time of watching it. It was after the fact. The idea of like something from another dimension, like watching you or I still have sleep paralysis to this day. It's happened to me thousands of times. I don't know if you know what it is, but there's a great documentary called The Nightmare uh, about how people have suffered from sleep paralysis. Going back to there's artwork from like the 1600s. Kind of, It's a pretty famous picture depicting this de- demon sitting on your chest. And there is there's an actual weight on your chest. Now logical me says uh okay when you go to sleep it's it's basically a brain malfunction your brain i don't know if it's a chemical or what like makes it so you don't act out every movement in your dreams but a piece of you is awake part of your brain thinks you're asleep part of your brain is awake so i can see but i can't blink i can't talk i can't move and i just kind of get trapped there now when this would happen to me as a kid uh Again, no information on it. I thought that I was haunted by something like a tall man. I was positive I was haunted. God, it's embarrassing, but I would be like, yet I was obsessed with horror. Maybe I felt like I needed to explore this stuff to know what was going on with me. Um, And watching it now, I kind of remembered some of those feelings of when Reggie and Mike kind of do battle against the tall man. I felt, as corny as this sounds, (laughs) I felt like maybe that was going to be me. And like the good guy of it, I felt it was such like a righteous battle on their end that I felt that was going to be me. I was just waiting to meet my Reggie. (laughs) And that's why I think it's a part of why I love Reggie so much. Um, I can clearly see that he has, you know, moments that he's not maybe like, I don't mean this as an insult, but like the best actor, but something even more important lands. And that's like an earnestness. Mm And uh, God, even when they, even when the creature bubbles out of her back, it's like almost silly. Reggie's funny, dude. When he gets laid and he's, he, you know, there's, there's a piece of like Ash. There's a piece of Bruce Campbell in it to me. Not that it's exactly the same or even remotely the same, but like an energy wise, vibe wise, Reggie's kind of goofy, kind of silly, but he's cool at the same time. Fuck, that's Bruce, man. That's Ash to me. Um, that's like pre Evil Dead. Do you did you like the Evil Dead show? Um, Ash versus the yeah, Evil Dead. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting to see you know them run in a ser- obviously a serialized story about Ash and how they could flesh out that Fuck world yeah. a little bit. Um, and I thought that it was great to see a studio or a network rather really like give what felt like full creative control and a budget to back that up. I watched the first two seasons and I think that. Um, there's one episode in season two, I believe, where it really abandons, you know, the general view of Ash, right? Which is like leaning into the slapstick, absurdist comedy sort of thing of Ash. And it was much more serious and it kind of almost felt like pumping the brakes and being like, this is somebody that has dealt with so much trauma over the course of the films and the series. And just how does that actually affect a character Uh, And I think it's supposed to be this duality of like, is he in an insane asylum and imagining all these things? Or is it just that this is like some Kandarian trick or whatever to try to get him to, you know, finally stop fighting the uh, deadites and whatnot. But like little instances like that, I thought were interesting because they experiment with that character that I think most people, you know, have kind of like put him in a box, right? Because they feel like, well, you've got these three films that he's in and you really have a, a grasp on what that character is and what he's capable of. And they did a fair amount of experimenting with him that I thought was, and you know, Bruce Campbell fucking never doesn't rock. Um, and of course, Evil yeah. Dead's great. Um, and yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the show. 
Um, and I think that it's great that, um, you know, they've been able to continue the world of Evil Dead, even if they've moved on from that character. Um, and, you know, I'm super amped for Evil Dead Rise, even if, you know, it doesn't have Me anything too. to do with yeah, Ash, fuck. but playing around in that world. Um, and I think that, you know, even though the first two, well, not really the first film, but uh, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, they were more humor focused. They still all felt like they were part of the same world and a continuation of what the original started, um, even if there was more of a, you know, comedy angle or comedy focus with those two films. But yeah, no, I thought the series was great. And uh, what did you think of it? I loved it. No, I thought it was awesome. I'm going to do a rewatch soon. Um, I want to go through now that it's all, you know, there's a beginning and an end. I want to go through and do the whole thing. Cause I was watching it like as it came out, you know, so gassed at first, like I went and like got a streaming service just for whatever one it was on. Or I got showtime, whatever the hell stars. stars whatever the hell yeah. on. Um, loved it. Thought it was really great. Liked, you know, it, it had its ebbs and flows as all things do for me, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. Cannot fucking wait for evil dead rise yeah. i thought the trailer it did its job for me dude i was like oh shit can't wait um bruce campbell came out and said this is the scariest evil dead uh, which i mean i get this kind of like his thing he's maybe you know he's got to say that sure. but like i don't know that gets me excited yeah. did you so as a kid dude I never understood that Evil Dead 2 was like a remake or a reimagining. And I always was like, why is he going back to the cabin? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm a child, so <laughs> I have the mind of a child. So I invented my own reasons why, mm. like that he had, that the the Deadites, which I didn't even know they were called yeah. that back when I would watch those movies, that, that they had kind of wiped his memory. And just like he was going to that cabin the first time he was coming, he's being called back. By the dead. Never entered my brain that it was a remake, even though a lot of the same shit happens in the early portion. Yeah. <laughs> Evil Dead One is a special movie to me, though, and and it, and and it's funny that we're talking about Phantasm, but Evil Dead One, I'm able to kind of like overlook some of the cheapish, silly. It, it's borderline silly, you know. It's like an arm gets cut off, blood, 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 and then just like paint and shit's yeah. coming out and. Um, I guess that's demon blood, whatever, but evil dead one landed in such a way. Uh, that's one of the handful of when people say, what are the movies that ever scared you? Evil dead one. I watched it alone. My parents were gone and I watched it in my little makeshift movie room that me and my brother, we decided I grew up in like an 800 square foot apartment, me, my brother and both my parents. And then my friend Barry and my friend Kwame basically lived with us too. So we had like four boys in this tiny apartment. We all decided to sleep in one room so we could have a band slash movie room <laughs> in one of the bedrooms. So everybody's gone and I watch Evil Dead One and the like the I all, all the budget stuff, the, the kind of cheapness of it, all that goes out the window in the you know, the kind of famous opening scene where uh not opening scene, but like when the first girl gets possessed and uh she starts calling the cards from without looking at him queen of hearts jack of diamonds and they say what's wrong with her eyes and then it changes to what's wrong with its eyes and it was just such a powerful yeah. moment to me but fuck if it landed phantasm shares a little bit it's not on the same level to me sure. but there's a little bit of that energy if i remember correctly with one where i'm able to overlook some of the cheesy stuff uh you know in order to go on this ride it's like i want to be a part of this journey Two, and I don't, I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but I just want to say this one last thing about two. Two is where 
like it all came together for me. And then unfortunately with the sequels, even though I think I think three is we might watch three and be like, oh, my God, this is horrible. But I, I don't really remember three. But I, I think I remember it being like a worthy contender, not on the level of two. But two is where it really kind of came together and landed for me without there's nothing really ultra cheesy to me about two, even like the Jawa things and all the the creatures and whatnot. Um, I forever call them Jawas. Yeah, but <laughs> that's what I call them. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you? They look just like fucking Jawas. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I look forward to going back in. I don't really have that much more to say about it, Jay. I'm more interested in hearing. I love hearing the way you break down movies. I think you watch and absorb in like a way that's just different than me. Maybe not to totally sweat you, but maybe like it's what I one day aspire to be. You know, I've written reviews in like published magazines, but my whole thing was like, I'm not a critic. I'm like the the regular J- Joe watching these movies and how they land for me. So when I hear you discuss a movie, I take a lot from it. Um, and I really make sure you, I, I want to know your thoughts, whether it's you do a show yeah. or whether you're just texting me and we're talking about, it. I really want to know your thoughts on three and four and shit. I'm looking forward to watching five, but I just phantasm two. Maybe I didn't give it as enough credit, as much credit as it deserves. It's kind of, up there with Evil Dead to me. Not in terms of that it scared me, right. but like the proof is in the pudding. I've held on to a lot of these scenes throughout my life. And what a fantastic journey to like sit in here in my house alone and let this movie run by. I very rarely watch movies on my bedroom TV. I don't know if you can see mm-hmm. that. Um, like just to be in my bedroom and watch this, I became a uh, you know, 12-year-old kid again. And that was like, really a real powerful treat for me. So thank you for that. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you taking the time to chat about. And I think that something that the older I get, the more I appreciate returning to movies or giving movies a second or a third chance sometimes, you know, that's one of those things. Absolutely. It sounds like it resonates with you too, in terms of, you know, you haven't necessarily revisited Phantasm frequently, but, you know, in revisiting it over a period of time and, you know, people change interests, likes, what have you you know, you can start to view something through a different lens. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I think separates maybe, and, you know, I'm not going to get elitist about it, but like hardcore film fans versus people that casually watch movies, right? There's no shame in that, but it's the type of thing where it's like, I rewatch movies constantly. A lot of people that I know that, you know, do podcasts or review or whatever, you know, they rewatch movies constantly because over time, you know, you take in things differently. It's kind of like, if you've ever listened to a song and it's on the radio or whatever, and you're like, Oh, it sounds kind of cool. And then you come back to it later down the road and you've had various experiences or whatnot. It hits in a totally different way. Um, and I think movies obviously are a continuation of that. Um, whether it be you're, themes you're, or whatever. You're spot on, man. And that is how I ingest music. If I find a song that I love, right, I'll just listen to it over and over again. And then over the years, I come back to it. It is the same thing with movies. But I think as I get older, I'm starting to appreciate it even on another level, a deeper level, how much a rewatch that that there it doesn't exist in my vocabulary. And I saw that before because like, well, you might remember the major plot moments. Mm -hmm. It's the dance between and all that and the way that it's presented. Yeah. Different lens. Yeah, man, watching this today, a different lens, and then also transported like a time machine to when I was a child, which, dude, I'm old enough now. Um, I think you're considerably younger than me, Jay. I'm old enough to where like that is such an appreciated, powerful moment to feel like a kid again, and you hold on tight and don't let it go. And that's what I got from Phantasm 2. And like, 
I'm also like on the edge of my seat, even though I pretty I know what happens. I let the movie like it just seemed so innocent this watch today. And like, you know, at the end when they're fighting the tall man, it's like, I know what happens after this. I know, don't get in that goddamn hearse. Yeah. But I don't know, I was on the edge of my seat. I and I love rewatching. And this is gonna kick off much like this is history repeating itself, bro. I watched two. I love it. Now I'm gonna jump in just like I did when I was a kid. I'm gonna watch one. Oh, probably gonna get through one and three tonight because I'm just so curious. But <laughs> ultra curious to hear your thoughts. Also, dude. So what did are these? Is that recent that these are being released on Blu-ray? So I think they did a set a couple like within the last ten years they did a set and then they released another um, remaster or whatnot or box set that was a more affordable because they did one of those super expensive ones. It was like a hundred bucks. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to blind buy a hundred dollar box set, but then it was like a $20 yeah, yeah. budget thing for Blu-ray. So I was like, uh, yeah, I'll splurge sent 20 bucks on five movies. Uh, and one of them was, I mean, the original yeah. one, the only reason they remastered it was because JJ Abrams was such a fan of the original that he actually like no got shit. involved to remaster it. And that kind of inspired them to be like, Oh, well you'll take that remaster will transfer all these other ones onto Blu-ray and whatnot. And, you know, they made it a, a more affordable sort of like budget-friendly uh, box set. And so, you know, I don't know if I would have been inspired to go and dive into this series and kind of like sort of shaky on the fence about my enjoyment of the original. But, you know, in revisiting that one and then watching two, it's kind of just made me even more excited to dive into the sequels and whatnot and inspired me to do the series review. Um, and you know, yeah, that's awesome. I'll definitely be hitting you up with my thoughts on three, four, and uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on five, which you've never seen. You said so. We'll both. No, I fell off the phantasm train. You know, it was like five had come out. I don't remember the years. I think four was like a few years, or three was a couple of years after two, um, and then four maybe a couple of years after that. I don't, not sure the exact. I read it before, but I kind of forgot. But um, I just kind of had fallen off. I had planned on watching it. But I think, I think four was Phantasm for Oblivion. I I remember it being bad. Now we, we could watch it and think it's incredible. It could have gone straight over my head. You know, watching it with a different lens now, as as I'm older and just you know a different person, maybe I'll love it now. But I remember being kind of like the death nail of my Phantasm watching. Didn't even know. But man, what a relief to read like Reggie's in the latest one. And it was 2016. So it's fairly God, that's that's still a long time ago now. But that sounds so recent. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you get old like me. I'll pick up a movie. I'll be like, is it old? I'll be like, nah, 2010. It's like, oh shit, wait, that is old. But to me, that sounds recent. Great chat as always. And I appreciate you taking the time to uh, go down memory lane with me with Phantasm 2. And uh, I look forward to picking your brain about the other ones as you uh, as we both watch them. Uh, please do, Jay. I mean that. Um, later, my friend. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJay. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.